I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's up, everybody? Happy Tuesday. The Celtics lost a tough four game against the New Orleans Pelicans, and we're going to talk about it because there is a bunch to unpack. I don't know where to start. I think I want to start with Evan Fournier. The guy came in having tested positive and then Brad Stevens said he had to go for a bunch of negative tests before he could even get on the floor. And he just looked like he was trying to figure out where he would be in that rotation. We saw him making some really good off-ball cuts. On ball, he looked confident. He was playing a bit of pick-and-roll actions. His shot just didn't fall, right? I mean, he back-rimmed a bunch of stuff. Had that, that, that one air ball. But all in all, like I don't think that's a reason to be concerned. It's his first game in Boston. It's his first game in a new system. And unlike someone like Luke Cornett that we'll get to in a moment, whose usage rate is quite low, Fournier saw the ball a lot, which means he was asked to do more. And in turn, he has to understand where the players are going to be and understand the play calls that are being thrown at him and then still make the right read. And I think he made some really good reads. He got some really good shots. They just weren't falling. Not the best way to introduce yourself, not the best way to be introduced to a guy who's an expiring contract that you pick up on the TPE, but there's no reason to be concerned either, in my personal opinion. I might be wrong, I don't know, but personally, I think that we're going to see better performances than this from Fournier, and this will just be one of those things where it's getting acclimated, and those struggles will slowly fizzle away as he gets more and more used to what Boston are trying to do and how they're trying to utilize him. I'm also pretty sure he hasn't had many games this year, probably in the last few years, where he saw the ball as little as what he did. He's used to being more of an on-ball guy, a higher usage rate, so there's going to be an adaption process there. Kemba Walker's been having a similar adaption process, if we're being honest, going from a number one guy in Charlotte, then he was like a number two behind Tatum last year, and now he's the definitive number three. And we're seeing the struggles Walker's making, or sorry, undertaking because of that. He's Figuring stuff out now, I think we're seeing a better version of Kemba Walker than what we've seen in a long time. There was a couple of moves he made against the Pelicans in that mid-range area where he was beating guys off the dribble. Put one guy in a blender, I think it was in the second. But in general, we're starting to see Kemba adapt to that role. He operates more as a, a penetration guy now, but he still peels off screens and hits his freeze when the defense allows him to. These adaptions take time. Going from a high usage guy to a lower usage guy just doesn't happen overnight. A lot of players get so consistent and used to getting hot in rhythm, being able to shoot through slumps, that when you're asked now to be a more productive scorer on lower lower attempts and you need to find consistency in a way other than shooting through slumps, then that's going to take some time. You need to be more judicial, judicial in the way that you uh, choose your shot selection. You need to be more judicial in the way you run your pick and rolls. And most importantly, you need to be able to move that ball on. If that shot's not there for you, don't take it because... Just as much as you want to shoot through a slump, you don't want to shoot yourself into a slump. And we've seen Kemba do that quite frequently this year. I was very encouraged by Kemba's performance in this game. I thought he played really well. There was some sometimes where I thought his playmaking could have been a notch better. So was, I felt like he looked tough guys once or twice. But I'm okay with that. If the shot that you're looking off somebody for is a good, high-value, high-quality shot, most of the time they were. Um, looked very good coming when he was driving across the baseline. Looked really good coming off pin downs. I understand that a lot of people still view Kemba as a negative contract, and that's a completely fair outlook to have. I would personally just view it as 
it's quite apparent now that when Kemba doesn't play, the Celtics struggle a little bit more on offense. The spacing just isn't as good as when he's there. And I think there is value still to be found in Kemba Walker. And if he continues to adapt to his role now, his third like third on the totem pole type of position in this team, if he continues to adapt and overcome and show the development that we're seeing in his adaption, then there's going to be a good amount of value to keep Kemba Walker around. Probably not for the full duration of this contract, but I think that while he's playing like this and he's improving every game, I think that the urgency to move on from Kemba should be negated. And there's other areas of the team you can look to focus on in terms of development. One of the more encouraging things about this loss, and I know it's hard to find encouraging moments in a loss, forever the optimist. I'm trying to be forever the optimist. This is a game where you didn't have Jalen Brown. You didn't have Tristan Thompson. Two very integral pieces in what the Celtics are trying to do, right? Like, Tristan Thompson is a switchable defender. He's physical. I don't know whether he gives Zion many problems. We'll get to Zion in a moment, but I just don't know how much Thompson would have really helped there. But it's a guy that can got a presence on the offensive glass, got a presence on the defensive glass, and he's got that veteran leadership quality. He's another one we haven't really seen the best of yet. But at the same time, you want that physicality and that hard-nosed, old-school, glass-crashing type of presence against a team with somebody just as insanely talented and strong and athletic as Zion. So I think Tristan Thompson would have been quite a big miss in this game. Same goes for Jalen Brown. The Pelicans were really struggling to contain Jason Tatum in the beginning of this game when Tatum just came out hot because they didn't know whether to hedge up on him after a pick and roll to take away the three-point shot or to sack to take away the drive. Tatum was killing them in both, and that's something that Jalen Brown can provide as well. And if you've got two wings that can kill you from all three levels and can both run the pick and roll, both facilitate for others, you can bend defenses to your will. I really can't wait to see the lineup that involves Kemba Walker, Fournier, Jalen and Jason. I think the scoring in that lineup is going to be insane. And I think that if Jalen Brown's in this game, you maybe edge it out. There was a few possessions where I feel like Jalen would have really helped this team. But it is what it is, right? Like every team's missed players this year. It's one of those years where nothing's guaranteed. So it's not an excuse. I'm just saying that Jalen Brown's impact on this game was probably missed quite a lot. Christian Thompson's to a lesser extent, but I still feel that that physicality would have been beneficial. Now, I touched on Tatum's hot, Tatum's? Tatum's hot start. Uh, Tatum was he was on fire, right? I mean, he was pulling up from deep, coming off the pick and roll, pulling up, getting downhill, drawing fouls. There was just nothing he could do wrong. At one point at the beginning, I think he had like 11 of the team's 13. Like He just came out ready to, ready to play. Called off a little bit, but still ended the game quite consistent numbers. Hit that really big step back at the end, as usual. It just was, well, towards the end, sorry. It just wasn't enough to kind of finish this game off. And that's okay. That's okay. Look, you've got Evan Fournier hits a couple of shots, then you maybe win. You you can play that game all day long. So looking in hindsight is great, but it's not going to change what the result was. You just move on and we analyze what we got to see. So I think Tatum played a good game. His defense looked good. I mean, the team is a collective. Their defense looked good around the perimeter. I, still, I personally still think they collapse a little bit too much on dribble drive penetration. And that's been a consistent theme for this Celtics defense for probably the last three or four years. And I remember, and I'm sure everybody listening remembers, there was a period where just random guards every night would just go off for 20, 25 against this team. And be, and that's because the Celtics just, they, they struggle to contain guys that drive the basketball. 
and you get a guy like Kyra Lewis that comes on that's just a blur in transition, a blur once he gets downhill himself. And that penetration or the threat of that penetration causes the defense fits. So that's definitely an issue for me. I think they need to work on. There was a few plays where the Pelicans penetrated deep towards the paint and kicked it back out. And I get it. You want to scramble. You want to rotate over from the weak side. eye. you want to play a very switchable brand of defense. But sometimes you leave guys too far open because of how much onus you're put, putting on stopping the drive. You need to start trusting your low-level help defense to kind of rotate in, pinch in. And then you're going to have one or two guys still around the elbows that don't have too much ground to cover to go and close guys out. It's not ideal. It won't always work. But that was a big part of what made the Celtics defense so good last year, the year before, the year before that, was everybody knew their roles. They switched very intelligently. And I think this year they're switching for the fact of switching. So there's still some defensive issues there. Has been better the last couple of games than what we've seen. Brad Stevens said just as much in that post-game press conference. You can find them on YouTube, on the CLNS YouTube channel. Um, they do a great job of getting them up early. If you haven't watched them, then I'd definitely recommend watching the Brad Stevens one just for his take on the way the defense has been. So one guy that did get kind of bigged up for his defense, props for his defense in the last game, and one of the reasons that Brad Stevens stated the Celtics wanted him um, and have kept an eye on him for a while has been Luke Cornett, who I saw referred to as the Green Cornett, and I like that, so I'm going to start using that. Probably not on this show, but across social media, I think that's a great nickname. Uh, people are too quick with these nicknames for me now. The creativity is just at different levels. I love it. Um, I understand that some people are against giving nicknames so early. They feel like it's people buying into a hype train. For me, I just see basketball as something that should be enjoyed, something that should be fun. And sometimes I'm guilty of this too. We can all take it that bit too serious and not remember the fact that it is there to be enjoyed. So throwing nicknames out after one game, I understand why some people aren't for it. But me personally, I think they're quite entertaining. Uh, so Luke Cornett came into this game off the back of an impressive showing, not a, like an impactful showing is probably the better word. And he start, he made an impact again, right? Like the pick and pop threat that he provides is ridiculous. Personally, I see a little bit of Tyler Zeller in him. I see a little bit of Daniel Tice in him. And then he's got that three-point shooting that just elevates him. Now, he, I don't think the Celtics really expected him to be making an impact when they picked him up. Um, he's an expiring contract, just like Mo Wagner is. But it looks like Luke Cornett could be a real piece for this team for the rest of this year. And I think if they have to make a decision on Wagner or Wagner, however you want to pronounce it, and Cornett, I think at the moment you choose Cornett, right? Because there was a point in this game where he set the screen, rolled into the midi range, received the ball, redirected it to Neesmith, I think it was, for the free. That's secondary creation at its finest, and it's something that a lot of teams towards the top of the East have got from their big men. Somehow, Philadelphia used Ben Simmons as the role man sometimes, and they get that from him too. They get it from Embiid. You'll see Milwaukee do it with Brook Lopez. You'll see Brooklyn do it with DeAndre Jordan. There's a lot of redirection from Bigman on the short roll, and to see Cornet do that isn't something that I expected him to do. We saw him get some putbacks. We saw him play that pick and pop. He seems to have a really good camaraderie or chemistry with Jason Tatum to hit those threes. Still a little bit questionable from the corner. I think he missed both his corner shots, but above the break at the top of the perimeter, he looks automatic. I'm happy with that. On defense, he goes up vertically. Very rarely looks like he's extending into the shooter, which means that he's challenging the shot without really risking the fouls. His height and length means he's 
altering shots at the rim. He's making guys have to change their release point, forcing misses. I like him. I honestly do. I think he's a good fit. I think that's something the Celtics have needed for a while. I love Daniel Tice. Daniel Tice was, um, I was a big fan of the way Tice played and the intelligence that he played with. The only thing I ever knocked on Tice for, and I've continually knocked on Tice for it over the years, is the fact that he will lock off three-point shots. He'll be wide open, and he got better at that towards the, the end of his time in Boston, taking those threes. But generally, he always looked to pass before taking that open three. Luke Cornett's not going to do that. If he's open from deep, he's going to fire away. And I'm fine with that because that shot looks fluid. It looks like he's got a good motion to it. And he's hitting them at the moment. So, you know, just let them fly. And that provides the spacing. And I do think that the Celtics found good success in the lanes when they had Luke Cornett at the top of the perimeter. So I want to see more of him. I know that Mo Wagner got a small sample size on this game, but I think that the impact Rob Williams had on the game, the impact that Luke Cornett had on the game, Mo Wagner's found himself sliding down in that pecking order. And we might not see neither of them too often once Tristan Thompson's back, if we're being realistic. But I do think if you need to choose between one of the two big men that came in to make an impact in any given game, you go with Luke Cornett before you go with Mo Wagner. And that's bad for me to say because it's only two games. But this is just my observation over the small sample sizes we've been given. So that's obviously fluid and subject to change. But as things stand, yep, Luke Cornett. Rob Williams, I just mentioned him. He had, I think he had a good game. He was providing some vertical spacing, running near pick and roll well. We saw him get a couple of lobs. One um, nice scoop um, lob pass from Marcus Smart to get finished by Rob. I'm I'm liking Rob Williams in the starting lineup, and I said this in locker room yesterday, so you'll hear this on tomorrow's podcast. But even if we know that Robert Williams is going back to the bench once Tristan Thompson's healthy, or eventually going back to the bench, giving him time to acclimate himself with all of the starters instead of just spending a bit of time on off the bench with Jason Tatum, or a bit of the time when he's off the bench with Jaden Brown or Kemba, whoever it may be. Now he's getting acclimated to the way the starting lineup works and playing against starting lineup level bigs. It's going to force him to adjust, force him to improve his playmaking, improve his mid-range shot, maybe, because he needs to find other ways to impact the game outside of just being a lob threat, outside of just being a crazy rim-protecting, shot-blocking big. Being able to being in a position where you're forced to evolve is a really good thing for somebody like Rob that has shown such exponential growth this year. And you want to keep pushing that growth to see how far you can get him by the summer. So whether or not he spends all of his time in the, with the starting lineup from now to the end of the playoffs, I doubt it. But for every game he gets with this team is really good for his personal and individual development. And I also think it bodes well for the future of this team because after every game, he's looking more and more like a starting level big. It's just a really good way to bring him along slowly is give him these minutes when the starting big is already unavailable and slowly work him into that starting lineup on a more permanent basis over the next few months. I think by the time we come to playoffs, we're going to see him, if not starting, and then splitting starting duties with Tristan Thompson. And within the next 12 months, he should be a starter if he can stay healthy and continue improving at the rate that he's improving right now. Big fan. Very happy with it. I think now we can get to the elephant in the room. Obviously, I was going to talk about it. I know that everybody 
and their dog are going to be speaking about this today. So for me not to would be negligent at best. Marcus Smart had a tough game. He had some really good moments, some really bad moments, some okay moments. I think that when he had that miscommunication on the jump ball, when it was the 0.3 seconds left on the New Orleans shot clock, and then he just had a bit of a brain freeze, I think that's when things started to go a bit more safe for him. And Marcus Smart was trying to force the issue a little bit. We saw him trying to draw charges that didn't go his way. We saw him getting a little bit more scrappy. There was a pass or two that didn't really make their right way to the right guy, made the right read. His shooting was okay. Like I felt that he was getting to the cup quite consistently. He had that one where he really drove into traffic and it didn't work out for him. This is what Marcus Smart gives you, right? Like the fact that, and I've been one of Smart's critics over the years, so I'm not going to lie there. But the fact that he felt the need to really try and force the issue because of one mistake shows you how much he actually cares. Now, he wasn't great, and this is part of the experience. You get really high highs and really deep lows when you're um, following a team with Marcus Smart leading the way. Now, by leading this team, I don't mean leading them as their primary ball handler, primary playmaker, primary scorer. I mean emotionally, and they look to him as a leader. He is probably their primary playmaker, if we're being quite honest, but that wasn't the point I was trying to make. What I'm saying is that sometimes he will get heated, sometimes he will make mistakes, and this wasn't one of the best games we've seen him play, but it was far from one of the worst as well. It's not like he was jacking up all of these ridiculously silly frees that are too deep for his range, or he was just trying to force the issue. I think he played within the system quite well. It was just unfortunate that he doesn't really get lucky with some of the calls he was trying to draw, especially that one towards the end where the play was to try and draw that foul off Stephen Adams. The refs were letting them play, so maybe there's a bit more of a question on Brad Stevens calling that play, considering the fact that the refs had been quite liberal. I think that after the last New Orleans game, where it felt like an NFL game due to how many calls there were, how involved the refs were, it went on for like three and a half hours that maybe they had a bit more of an onus to let this team play out a little bit. But it was just unfortunate. I, I'm not going to put too much stuck into that performance. I think that it wasn't by a mile his worst. It was just a bit over-eager, if we're being honest with ourselves. It was just a bit too much eagerness. And you want guys to play kind of even-keeled, but they're human at the end of the day. Their emotions get into check. We see guys get fired up, riled up. And if someone's trying too hard, it's better than not trying at all, in my opinion. Uh, there was definitely some plays that were questionable for him, but as a guy that's been vocal on smart shot selection, I think that what we saw last night was still a good step in the right direction. He just needs to play with his brain a little bit more than his heart, but not so much that it takes away from the impact he has because of the fire that he plays with. I think that pretty much... Oh, we've got Zion, right? And then I want to talk about Dallas. So... Trying to contain Zion is a job of work. You need to put two on him the majority of the time. He's one of these guys that can just like pull the ball back above the perimeter and get downhill instantly. He's so quick for somebody that's so big. It's insane. His jump is ridiculous. His second bounce is great. The fact that they're pushing him as a ball handler. I spoke about this on multiple podcasts, whether I've done it on this one or not. I'm probably guessing I have. But we've seen the Celtics do it with Tatum and Brown. There's so much value in wings that can create for others and well, as well as create for themselves that it makes complete sense that New Orleans are pushing Zion to be that type of guy too. I think they're trying to mold him into a LeBron-type guy, which means he needs the ball handling. He needs the facilitation to be able to hit that type of 
that level of multifaceted threat rather than just a guy that can get downhill and score around the room. And we're seeing similar similar evolutions in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Both of their ball handling skills have improved over the last 18 months. Tatum's handle was really questionable at speed under transition. We're seeing him slow it down a little bit. We've seen J- uh, Jalen Brown really improve that left-hand dribble. And they're both seeing their assist numbers rise due to the increase in usage rate and pick-and-roll plays that they're running, being asked to create for others as well as create for themselves. So the fact that we've seen JT and JB go through this evolution makes it less shocking for me that we're seeing Zion go through this evolution. I think that Lonzo Ball not being in the game allowed Zion to have the ball a little bit more than what he probably usually does. But at the same time, I'm more than happy to see somebody like Zion, that's such a unique guy, go through a very similar development process as what we're seeing the two star wings in Boston go through. And that's encouraging that we we can say that Right, we can see similarities happening on other teams with their wings. So Boston are developing Jason and Jalen in a way that's very much a, a modernization of that point forward position, that wing playmaking position. And the fact that they're such great three level scorers, which Zion isn't. Zion is a, a very much a I'm getting to the bucket type of guy. So he's gonna need to extend that free that shot out to the mid range and then to the three point range. Boston's wings are already there. So I'm encouraged with Jalen and Jason and seeing what's happening with wings around the league and how they're going through similar developmental processes. It's it's fun. It's fun to watch. It's fun to kind of pick up trends that you can spot like that. Uh, personally, I really enjoy when I can spot something like that and look back and be like, this is exactly what Boston are doing or Boston are doing this because Team X has been doing this for a while and have found success. I enjoy stuff like that. Now, it's a loss. So at the end of the day, we can't be too happy. But you move on to the next one. There was fans in the stadium for this game. There'll be fans in the stadium for the next. But right now, all our attention should turn to Dallas. Dallas had that um, hard-fought victory over Boston a few weeks back. And now it's time for revenge as far as I'm concerned. Will we have Tristan Thompson back? Maybe, maybe not. Romeo Langford? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know how much impact we can expect from Romeo anyway, to be quite honest. Jalen Brown? Questionable again. I'm assuming that we're going to see a bit of Jalen. I think if they play some defense like this, like they play to the, against New Orleans, and they can figure out a little bit more consistency with guarding guys on the penetration, that we're going to see a decent defensive performance. And if Brown can come out and JT can find getting hot uh, at some point in the game, Kemba plays the way he did in this one. Marcus Smart kind of keeps his emotions in check a little bit. And Fournier actually sees the ball go through the net. I mean, that's going to be a big, big key. Then I think Boston have got every opportunity to win this game. If Fournier can start scoring, then the spacing is going to give um, them Dallas some real problems. And then all you've got to do is try and stop Luka Doncic. It's tough coming off the back of trying to stop Zaya to go into trying to stop Luka. But this is the NBA, baby. And there's always going to be a superstar or a guy waiting to be crowned as a superstar, looking to make his name against you. You go from Zion to Luka, and then whoever's next, you go on to them afterwards. It's all about the defensive communication for me in this game. I think that Luke is another guy that likes to penetrate. He likes to get his work done off the dribble, similar to what Zion does. So you can take the stuff that worked against New Orleans and you can build out from there. It's not like you're coming into this like, right, Zion torched us completely. 
what do we do? No, you know that Luke Cornett had some good possessions on Zion. You know that Marcus Smart did some good things against Zion. You know that you've... Um, and Luke Cornett didn't guard him one-on-one, by the way. Luke Cornett would rotate over. You know that that helped defenses work. You know that guys pinching in off the wings makes Zion pick the ball up a little bit earlier than what he'd like to. So you already have a body of work against a guy that likes to penetrate, except Luca doesn't have that level of physicality, but he's more shifty. So you need to rotate more more intelligently to deduct from that. This pretty much wraps it up. I try not to do too many solos. Uh, I just wanted to get something out today. Celtics Pro guys weren't around to get one out, but they'll be back on Thursday, I think they said. Anybody listening, please consider that five-star review. They really, really, really do help. And then the locker room live mailbag will drop tomorrow and then i'll be back on friday with somebody so you don't just have to listen to me ramble for 25 to 35 minutes hope you guys also got guys and girls all stay safe and have a great day and you'll hear from me again tomorrow